Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Call to Action podcast. Today is Wednesday, May 27th. We have a very special guest with us today, uh, Blue, Toronto Blue Jay, former Kent State Golden Flash, Travis Shaw. Travis, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, we just want to first start with, like, how bad, how badly are you missing baseball right now? I mean, it's a pretty general question, but, uh, you know, it's what you do. It's what you've always done. Just time without it and being in this quarantine, how's, uh, how bad do you miss it? It's, it sucks. I mean, it's weird just sitting at home this time of the year. Um, like yesterday, Memorial Day weekend, you're, you're always used to playing day games and wearing kind of the cool colors and the uniforms that MLB always comes out with every year and just little things like that on like holidays that you uh, you typically have memories of just all, all I've done for the last seems like 10, 15 years is on those holidays as you're playing baseball and been throwing, hitting, and been getting the kids at all. Yeah, my workouts have remained pretty much the same. I've uh, been working out four times a week usually, um, which is pretty normal for me, uh, even in the off season. Uh, Hitting-wise, probably the last three to four weeks, I've started picking that up a little bit more. Uh, when I first got sent home from spring training, I kind of didn't really do much for a couple weeks uh, besides worked out. And then after that, got back into the cage a little bit. And recently, the last like two or three weeks, been hitting BP pretty much every other day. So about four or five times a week, get in the cage, uh, throw on those days as well. So baseball wise, baseball shape, feel, feel pretty good right now. and uh, doing as much as I can to stay ready. What's just the overall feel of you guys. I don't know how much in the big leagues you guys kind of talk. Uh, you mentioned before we got on here that this was your first zoom call. I didn't expect big leaguers to all hop on a zoom call like our student athletes do, but you know, how much talk is there and what's kind of the feeling of, um, you know, what, what's the general feel of everyone? Yeah, we have, I mean, we have a group text between a lot of the guys on the blue Jays. So, um, we, we, we text pretty frequently and especially right now with the negotiations that are going on between major league baseball and the players, there's a, there's a lot of information being shared back and forth and, and ideas and opinions and all that. So uh, we've we've stayed in pretty close contact. Um, unfortunately, I don't have much inside information as opposed to what you guys have read on Twitter already about what's going on with the season. But um, yeah, but we we stay in contact with each other. We we still talk, um, everything like that. Talk about the the Blue Jays a little bit. It's ex- exciting time to be in Toronto. A lot of young players, Vladdy. Kevin Biggio, you, uh, Bo Bichette. Let's talk about uh, a couple of those guys and, and how excited you are to be a, be a Blue Jay this year. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, this is a this is a new phase in my career. Uh, I'd like to say is I just turned thirty and I'm the I'm the oldest position player on the Blue Jays, which is insane to me to think about. But um, the last two teams I've been on the Red Sox and the Brewers, that was not the case at all. I was usually on the younger side to middle of the road, but now and immediately switched and like you just said those guys are super exciting Vladdy and and Bo and Kevin have great careers ahead of them um it's extremely impressive especially Vladdy I mean he was in the big leagues at 20 years old he just turned 21 this year and to think that he's already in the big leagues at that young age and watching him how he handles his business in spring training they all get it they all work hard and I think sky's the limit for for all of them and 
And like you just said, it's going to be an exciting, exciting time in Toronto if, if all those guys are, are able to continue to grow and uh, progress in their career. And I, hopefully I'll be a part of it. Uh, I know I signed a one-year deal there, but hopefully, hopefully there's, there's an option for next year. So hopefully, hopefully I'll be a part of that in their future because Toronto is a pretty cool place when, when the Blue Jays are meeting. Yeah. That's what I hate the most about this quarantine thing. And this isn't a, a question to you necessarily, but, you know, you, like you said, you're 30, you're the older, an older guy on the team and you have these young guys. And just right now you're sitting around and it's like killing a, killing a year, you know, and there's much more important things out there. Um, but, you know, I, you see it in all sports. You see it with LeBron, you know, the guy's getting up there. He wants to compete for a title and he's losing a year of his career. So that's, I don't know how you just feel or look at that, um, just the time. But, uh, again, I know that we're dealing with a serious situation out there, uh, but that's got to suck. <laughs> yeah, it's it does suck, like you just said. I mean, most big leaguers, I mean, I think the average big league career is around four or five years. I'm lucky to so far already surpass that a little bit. And most guys' career, I mean, the top end guys, if you get 10 years, that's an unbelievable career. So it's not that long of a lifespan. And to think that you're going to miss out on a whole year, um, like you just said, it does kind of suck. And uh, there's, as for me, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older. Uh, guys that get older are starting to get phased out of the game a little bit. So there's not a ton of left, ton of time left for me, uh, unfortunately, in the game. So I need to kind of maximize as, as much as I can these last – couple years and like you just said losing all year this year that's that's not good well talk, talk about your journey a little bit I guess I mean your ninth round pick in, in 2011 made your way through the the minor league ranks and I mean you were with Boston for two years and then Milwaukee just talk about you know your experience and, and getting up to those big leagues yeah got drafted no actually I got drafted in 08 out of high school I turned it down went to Kent uh, great decision for me uh, would would 100 times do it over again the the same way and got drafted in 2011 uh, ninth round ends up leaving that year signed with the Red Sox and then just started trekking through the minor leagues took me a couple years uh, kind of struggled a little bit in 2013 in AA but finally got over that AA hump and then was able to make my debut early on in 2015 uh, spent about half the year up in the big leagues in 2015, and fortunately, I've never had to go back down to the minor league since. Uh, played 15 and 16 with the Red Sox. We made the playoffs in 16. Unfortunately, got swept by the Indians that year. Indians were on a kind of a little bit of a magical run that year. Yeah. Um, got traded to Milwaukee after the 16 season. Spent three years in Milwaukee. Unbelievable time in Milwaukee. We had a really good team. We were a game away from the World Series in 2018. Um, Last year, not so good for me personally, but uh, first down year I had in the big leagues was last year, and uh, they got rid of me last year and then signed on with Toronto this year. So hopefully the fresh start will, so will do me good and uh, hopefully continue trekking on. Is there a moment like when you, you know, when you made the 40-man and, and uh, kind of made your way up, is there a moment or, or tell us a story like when that moment happened or kind of that first moment with the Red Sox of like, okay, I'm in the big leagues. Okay. The first, I was up and down like four or five times in 2015. So uh, the first moment where I felt like, all right, I made it and I arrived was probably, it was like, I think it was my last, yeah, it was my last call because I didn't go back down after this. It was uh, the trade deadline in 2015. So July 31st. 
I get a call. I was in AAA. Go to the airport, fly to Boston. They had me sit around because apparently there was a deal in waiting. Um, so I sit around at the airport for 15, 20 minutes. They tell me just to hang tight. The deal ends up falling through. So the guy I was supposed to get called up for didn't get traded. And they told me there was a 7 o'clock flight that night back to Syracuse. And they said, you can take that flight or you can stay the night and fly in the morning. I was pissed off at the time um, that, I, that they made me just fly all that way for nothing. So I stayed the night, went to the team hotel, just hung out all night, watched the game in my hotel room, went to sleep. I get a call at 1130 that night. They said, plans have changed. You're going to start tomorrow. There was a day game in, in Fenway on August 1st against the Rays. Jeez. I go to that. They said they weren't sure what was going to happen after that game, but I was going to play that next day. So I, I go to the field the next day. Um, I'm in the lineup in like seventh, I think, seventh or eighth, somewhere in there. And I go four for four with two homers. And <laughs> after the game, they called me into the office. They said, you're not leaving yet. You're going to play again tomorrow. And then we'll see what happens. I played again the next day, went three for four, never went back to the minor leagues ever since, and played, started every single game the rest of the season that year. So it's a good thing I didn't get on that flight the night before, but that was that was the moment when I felt like, all right, I, I made it to the big leagues. I'm here. I'm ready to go. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I kind of remember. I mean, I don't know. What, what, yeah. Sorry. Eric. Go ahead, Jeremy. No, go ahead. Yeah, it was my first. That was the actually that was actually the, my first big league homer too. So I hit the first day. I hit my first homer. I hit I hit another one later that day. So my first big league homer came on a, a multi homer game, which was pretty cool. Yeah, and and doing it in such a. Did you say it was a day game? Yeah, it was a day game. I mean, it yeah. was. I was expecting to get on a seven a.m. flight back to. I think it was Syracuse. I, I could be wrong. I was expecting to get on a flight that morning. They called me the night before. Playing the change. You're starting. Just a whole whirlwind of a 24 hours. Yeah, I, I was gonna say these. These. I mean, I've been my my family, part of my family, my dad's side's all from the New England area, and I've been to Fenway uh, a few times. And those fans that that morning, they're probably like, I mean, they they know what they're talking about in in Boston and everything, but they're probably like, you know, Travis Shaw, and then you go four for four, and they're like, oh, yeah, this guy, let's keep this guy. So that that's a pretty sweet story. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep him now. <laughs> Go ahead, Eric. I know you're going to say something. Yeah, I would, no, I was just, I was just going to say. I mean, you had those two years of Boston, obviously. I mean, I would probably say you had your breakout year in 2017, and you had 32 home runs, 101 RBIs. I think. Just talk, talk about that season. I mean, you said, you know, Milwaukee is such a great place. What, what was it about Milwaukee that you found you really thrived in? So towards the end of 16. Um, I was kind of in a platoon role in Boston and I wasn't playing every day. And that was the first time I had really gone through that. So I uh, was learning kind of how to be a part-time player, play a couple of days, sit a couple of days, that kind of thing. And, and I just didn't, I didn't have success. The results weren't there. And uh, Pablo was hurt that year and he was coming back. And I know that the business side of baseball, but he was still owed a lot of money. So uh, they were going to go with him. They ended up trading me and as soon as I got traded to Milwaukee the first thing first conversation I had with them was you're our everyday third baseman it doesn't matter lefties righties you're playing every day so they gave me they gave me the opportunity from the start um, they held true to their word I think I started 145 games that year I mean I literally played almost every day and I think just the constant just getting to play every day knowing I was coming to the field going to be in the lineup they put me in the middle of the order um, as soon as the season started and 
once a baseball player gets some confidence and gets things rolling a little bit, then, then sky's the limit. And that year, everything just clicked and, and fell into the right place. Was there any major difference, um, you know, field-wise? Uh, does, does it have anything to do with kind of the dimensions of Miller Park versus Fenway? Uh, did that play any role? I mean, I know that deep center field in Fenway, uh, you know, hard to clear that for home, a home run perspective. But did that play anything into it? You know the success. Uh, I think a little bit on the power. I think a little bit on the power side, like you just said, Miller Park's super friendly for left-handed hitters. The ball flies to right field, so um, I'm sure that boosted my power numbers a little bit. Um, but it was also, I mean, that 2016 year was I consider it my rookie year. I wasn't technically a rookie, but <clears throat> that was the first time I played a full major league season. So I, I learned a lot that year, and then coming back that next year. Uh, was able to make some adjustments and some changes and, and kind of took off, got off on the right right foot. And uh, just, like I said earlier, everything fell into place and got some confidence and the numbers started to show up big time. Awesome. Well, one other thing. You, talk, you talked oh, earlier about. Sorry. My bad. My bad. Go ahead. No, you, you go. Uh, I mean, you mentioned um, – turning down that, uh, that MLB contract after getting drafted out of high school. I guess just looking back on your time, you said you do it a hundred times over at, at Kent State. You know, what was it about Kent State that, that really interested you? And, and, you know, why did you find so much success at Kent? Yeah, so my recruiting process, it actually was narrowed down. I got recruited by a pretty decent amount of schools, not, not any super huge schools, but I narrowed it down to Kent or Miami. Those were my final two choices. Uh, both in the MAC and just the culture when I went on my official visit at Kent the culture was what stood out to me the most I mean as soon as I walked in and, and saw the practice and how they did things it was like immediate this is where I needed to be and it's hard to explain like I wouldn't know how to explain it it just as soon as I walked in it felt right it felt like home and uh, it ended up being a tremendous decision for me I wouldn't change it for the world and at the time, I knew I wasn't ready to sign professionally. I uh, wasn't drafted very high anyway, so that helped it helped make my decision a little bit. But uh, definitely Kent State was the right place for me to be. And you just missed the College World Series by a year. Uh, I mean uh, – I would have been, been a senior on that year. Yeah. Uh, technically, that was my class, but I, I left the early. I know. That would have been – that's what I was going to ask. Just, uh, you know, sitting there, clearly you, you made that next step and everything. But to see – a Mac school uh, and your alma mater get to the College World Series, and not only do that, but knock off the number one team uh, at the time in Florida and get a win. Just that ride, as and as an alum, and like you mentioned, being part of that class, what was that whole thing watching from you know your viewpoint, being able to see a school, uh, your school, uh, do that? It was incredible. It's just like the amount of people that just were like, "Who's Kent State?" Like guys that I played with, um, guys still paid attention to, to college baseball. And it was – I felt like I was on the team, even though I wasn't. I mean, just following how closely I was following and watching those guys and following along every single game, it felt like I was on the ride too. So, um, even though I wasn't on the team, it, it was pretty cool to follow along. And it was – there was no resentment from my side. I was, I was super happy to see those guys get that far. And it, it was really fun to, to follow along. Do you have do you have a um, 
clearly part of that uh, whole success and, and continued success. We actually talked to uh, Coach Duncan yesterday uh, for a bit on here. Uh, but, you know, your, your head coach was Scott Strickland, who is now head coach at Georgia. He's had tremendous success. Um, he is uh, definitely a, a, quite a serious guy. Uh, and, and like you mentioned, the way he ran practices, the way he did things, I mean, he, he, you know, he's a great coach. What's, what's the story outside of what people don't know about coach Strickland, maybe off the field or, or something, just, just how he acted with the guys and why maybe he is successful, not only at Kent, but now at Georgia. It's just the aura about him. I mean, he demands excellence. I know he, as a coach, in between the lines, a lot of times you don't necessarily like him, but he gets absolutely every ounce of everything that you have. I mean, he, he pulls it out of everybody, from, from the top guy on the roster to the bottom guy on the roster. He gets every guy to buy in, and he gets every guy to play at the top of his ability. I mean, and there's, there's no other option. He doesn't give you another option. But off the field, I mean, to me, he's always been great. We still keep in contact all the time. I mean, we, we talk still pretty frequently. Um, every time I'm in Atlanta, he comes and watches me play. So uh, just he develops a friendship with his players. He kind of – he learns about his players and uh, their backgrounds, their families, everything like that. So he was, he was a great coach to me, uh, still a good friend to me. But, yeah, in between the lines, he's intense. And he it's, – it's when – and there's no other option. You have to win. And he, he demands that every single day of practice and during the game. And, and I think that's why Kent was so good under him. And it's still good under him because the, the legacy that he left and the tradition that he, he built is, is why Kent State's Kent State. And they still get the, the really good players all around the Midwest. We, uh, we talked to Coach Duncan yesterday about Coach Burbeck a little bit. Um, do you have a do you have a favorite story or uh, you know some of, we've heard about some of his Berkeyisms? Is is that a real thing? <laughs> it is. Uh, I wasn't a pitcher, so yeah. I didn't get to interact with him as much as the pitchers do. But um, I mean, I talked to Berkey just a few days ago, so the same thing. We we still keep in close contact. I think my funniest Berkey moments when I was at Kent was every time Strick would lose his mind. I mean, he would go off. Not, I mean, he would go off a lot, but every time he would go off, like just looking at Birkbeck's reaction and his facial expressions when it was happening was was priceless. I mean, he he almost he was chuckling pretty much every single time he did it because he knew here we go again. But uh, every time he did it, it worked. And just just watching Berkey when Strick would lose his mind was was always pretty funny to me. That's great. They're so they're so polar opposites, you know. Like Berkey's so laid back, and yep. and then Strick was so so much of a, a intense guy, like you mentioned. So uh, I saw. I mean, I was able to go to the College World Series with those guys and and cover it from our end. And uh, yeah, you you could see it. You know, Berkey's just kind of walking up down the dugout. Yeah. And just Strick is has that stare, just like he's he's ready. You know, he's always ready. Yep. They play off of each other really well. I mean, they, they, they balance each other out. I think you need that. Like when, when you have an, such an intense guy like Strick, you kind of need the opposite to kind of keep everything neutral and keep everybody just like loose and even keel. And, and that's what Berkey's job was. And, and he does, he did a great job of that. And just, what do you think you, you mentioned the success um, and why Kent State is still Kent State and they're still getting guys. And I'm sure you, you although you didn't play uh, for him, Coach Duncan, 
uh, is able to do that. And he's keeping a, an even, uh, he, he has more of an even um, kind of temper, I, I would think, uh, more so than strict. But, you know, as this continues to get going and you watch from afar, what do you see about um, Coach Duncan and Coach Burkrecht and what they're able to continue to do? The same thing. Duncan and Burkbeck work really well with each other. And I just think everything that Kent's done over the last five five years or so with upgrading the facilities, I mean the baseball field's incredible now. All those all the resources they have. And realistically when you guys when you bring guys into like on recruiting visits and you walk into that locker room and you see that wall of fame and all those championship rings, those sometimes speak for themselves. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's great to have this and that, but when you see the continued success of winning and, and how frequently they win and how frequently you see all the years on the wall now that they've, they've gone to a regional and they've won the Mac. Those kind of speak for themselves. And when guys come out of high school, if you want to come out of high school and win, I mean, Kent's, if you're going to the Mac, Kent's the place to be. And, and it's, I mean, that's, that speaks for itself and all the facilities and the use and track record of guys getting drafted and it, it all, that all plays into why Kent State's still good, and they're still they're still turning guys out and uh, kicking them out to the draft every year. I kind of I kind of want to switch gears really quick. Um, you're well known for uh, your famous nickname, I would say these days. Can you explain <clears throat> the origin of the Mayor of Ding Dong City nickname? Yeah, that uh, came from Jared Carabas at Barstool Sports. Um, kind of I don't think it really meant to happen um 2015 I got called up that that right after August 1st I went on a stretch where I hit a pretty decent amount of home runs um after that first one and it was like a month span where I had probably seven or eight home runs and he he, he said something on one night on Twitter after I hit one of my home runs and I don't know what it was but the fans took off with it and it's stuck ever since and even now he's like he told me one time, he's like, hey, man, I'm sorry I said that because I know that's not like realistically, I would not choose that as my nickname. I don't go around yes. saying that that's who I am. But the fans loved it so much and they played into it that we just kind of rolled with it after that. Didn't you get like a bobblehead? Didn't you have like a mayor like bobblehead? Oh, yeah. There's been, yeah. Milwaukee did a mayor bobblehead and everything. Like without, I mean, they didn't even ask either. They just. I, had, I learned I had a bobblehead giveaway, and they, by the time they had mass produced them, they were like, oh, yeah, this is what it is. And I was just like, oh, of course. Uh, hey, it's good to have a little fun. Hey, I think we all would right now would uh, – you wouldn't mind being called that during if you're playing ball right now and, uh, you know, hitting some home runs. Sure, I'll sure. take it. Yeah, you'd take it for sure. Who, who's, the, uh, who's the toughest guy you've ever faced? Probably prime Andrew Miller. Um, yeah. Back in 15 and 16 was, I mean, that's when Andrew Miller was Andrew Miller. And he uh, left on left. That was a tough AB. I mean, he threw hard. His slider's disgusting. So I would say my big league career, 15, 16, in those times, Andrew Miller was easily the toughest guy I've, I've had to face. Yeah, he, he was he was nasty. Uh, no doubt. Uh, he, I was at all those playoff games. And uh, when he came in, you were like, "All right, game game's over," because he just come yeah. in and blow him down. It was it was great. Yeah. 
Uh, your your dad actually played 12 years in the big leagues. What uh, do you? How often do you? I guess look to him for advice. Do you still ask him for advice every now and then, or what was that like growing up? Yeah, he was really. I mean, growing up, he was kind of the reason I feel like I am where I am today. He kind of pushed me really hard and demanded a lot of me. And at the time, I didn't like it, but but looking back, it's it's been a huge blessing, and it's where I'm at. It's, it's I'm where I'm at today a lot because of him and going through the minor leagues. I mean, he, he experienced all that firsthand. So when he's offering advice and experience, the fact that he's, he'd gone through it himself, um, you can't really turn away from that. So I listened to him as much as I could. And uh, he was a pitcher, so it was a little bit different, but getting the pitching side of everything versus the hitting side of everything, it helped me a lot too. It helped with my approach on hitting and kind of what pitchers were trying to do to me and how they were trying to attack me. So, that's been something that we've kept up even in the big leagues. So he'll say like, this is what I'm seeing. Um, it's from you at the plate right now. And just little things like that have, have always helped me throughout my whole career. We, uh, you know, we mentioned every kind of stop on your career and um, all the different cities. I know you haven't spent probably a ton of time in Toronto at this point, but uh, playing in just not the organization, but playing in Boston, playing in Milwaukee, just talk about from from two guys from Cleveland that really all we know, I've gone to a few away games here and there, obviously, but all we know is kind of Cleveland and the fan base here. Just um, talk a little bit about both those cities, how they embrace baseball, and uh, kind of if there are differences, point out the differences between those two and maybe even what you've noticed about Toronto. Boston's intense. Um, they, have, they have very intense fans. Um, I would consider them more reactionary than, than Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a lot more laid back than Boston. Um, personally, my time in Milwaukee felt a little bit better than my time in Boston just because of the fact that I was playing every day. And um, that's kind of where I broke out in my career. But all the, the friendships and for Boston's first-class organization, I mean, you can't get much better than the Red Sox, the way they treat their players, the way they take care of their players. It's about as good as it gets. So my time in Boston was great. Um, I was a little young. I was a rookie, so I kind of kept to myself a little bit more. And then in Milwaukee, I was able to kind of branch out a little bit and have a little bit more of my own personality and uh, was able – and that's where I kind of established myself as a, as a Major League Baseball regular. Um, but the fan bases, like you, like I said earlier, they're, they're, they're pretty different. I mean, it's – Boston is very intense, very – like they expect, they demand excellence all the time. Even on a Tuesday night in June, they expect you to win. I mean, they're they're there to see them their guys win every single night, and they don't take they don't take losing as an option. And Milwaukee's the same way. I mean, every I think every fan base expects guys to win, but I think uh, Milwaukee fans are a little bit more forgiving and a little bit more realistic and uh, on on that on that front. That's great. Uh, I guess our our final question to you would be: I know you're a big uh, Team LeBron guy. Uh, did, oh, yeah. did, did you watch The Last Dance, and did it sway your opinion at all? I did watch The Last Dance, and it's going to be hard to sway my opinion. I mean, I think I, they're just so different. I mean, they're different players, different eras. I try not to compare different eras because I hear it with baseball, too. Well, like, this guy couldn't hit in this era. This guy couldn't pitch in this era. And it, it's just so different. Like, you don't, you can't really compare the two, but I still – even through all this, I'm still saying LeBron's the best, but uh, 
Michael. I mean, it's one A, one B. You can't go wrong with either one. But I'll always be always be Team LeBron. Well, we we usually end this with like a just a quick rapid fire um, question. <laughs> And um, our first one is, you know, you've played in three park or three places or have been in three places. Where's your favorite uh, road trip to go on in the major leagues outside of those three cities? Probably L.A. L.A. or San Diego. And and why? L.A., the atmosphere at the stadium is incredible. Love the stadium. It's always been my favorite stadium. San Diego is beautiful. I mean, that's a great place to go play for a few days you get away you're close to the beach the weather's amazing so i'm a i am I love the west coast so pretty much anywhere on the west coast is where i'm gonna pick okay uh the next one is do you have a uh, a rookie hazing story actually no that was i was the first year where they were kind of phasing the the hazing out so our dress up was very tame um, we didn't have any like crazy stories or anything like that but uh, thankfully, I, I was a little bit after all the, the crazy stories. And plus, plus we, we asked that question, but I guess it's hard to haze a guy when you get called and play a day game and go four for four. You're probably like, all right, we're, we're going to let this guy go, and we're not going to haze him much or do anything with him. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, – we yeah. heard a good story from Coach Duncan yesterday of him wearing to uh, have a wear-up. SpongeBob SquarePants outfit through customs when he was with the Mets, and they made him wear that and, and put him. So, uh, yeah, I had a I had a shark costume. That was my my dress up was a shark costume. So it wasn't like it definitely wasn't over the top or anything like that. I got lucky. <laughs> I don't know why they picked the shark thing, but I I was not complaining when I saw it. I was like I lucked out big time. Our last one question is: There's this uh, shop in Kent. Um, that makes sandwiches and they kind of call the sandwiches after the different coaches in town. Um, what would be your sandwich? What would be the, we'll, we'll just call it the uh, mayor of Ding Dong City sandwich uh, for the time being, but what, what would be on that sandwich? What kind of sandwiches are we talking about? Any, any type of sandwich? Uh, I think the place, yeah. it's like some melt place in Kent and they just name like there's the, uh, okay. The sender, I don't know, they name them after the different coaches, different alums. Josh Cribbs has, sand, you know, everyone has a sandwich. So what would be yours? I'll probably just go steak and cheese. Keep it simple. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a, for a good steak and cheese sub or sandwich, something like that. All right. Cool. Love well, Travis, we really appreciate you spending some time talking baseball with us today. It was great to hear about your time at Kent and kind of throughout the bigs. And, uh, you know, we hope that uh, – we're following everything just like you are on, on Twitter and uh, hope that you guys get to get out there and, and get after it. I know we're really missing it and uh, I'm sure, sure you are too. So want to thank you again for the time uh, spending with us today. Yep. No problem. Thanks for having me guys. Take care. The town of the man.